Well, if you were to go and ask the average person on the street what they thought about Christians or what they thought about church, there's probably lots of different answers that you'd get. But one of the, I suspect, reoccurring themes that you might hear from people who would be resistant to the idea of of the gospel and of, of coming to church to hear the gospel explained would be that of of what charge? What do you think it would be? The church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Most of us who've ever had any kind of religious conversation with anybody have, have heard that charge before, and I don't know about you, but I certainly said it before I was, before I was a Christian. A hypocrite is, is a mask wearer. It's someone who puts on a mask and pretends to be something that they, they really aren't. Uh, and in our realm, the, the Christian hypo- hypocrite is one who, who puts on a facade, who puts on a show, who wears a mask, who pretends to be a certain way when the reality is they're actually not. And the scary thing about hypocrisy is that sometimes you know you're a hypocrite, and then other times you can persist in your hypocrisy in such a way that it hardens and calluses your heart and you become deceived and actually think that it's everybody else who are the hypocrites and who are wrong and that you're okay. When you read through the scriptures, you find that Jesus is, he is very patient with all sorts of sinners. But there is one sort of sin that he, he hates vehemently. And that is the sin of religious hypocrisy. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. The title of the sermon this morning is How to Become a Religious Hypocrite. Lock the doors. Here we go. Now on our way up to the text and where we are this morning, what we've seen is that Jesus has been teaching for a while. He's been teaching about prayer. He's been teaching about what true blessedness is, that it's to receive his word and to obey it. And then he, gives, he gave last week these, these words of, of condemnation against the generation that was, was before them, saying that they were going to be judged for rejecting the wisdom of God, the very light of God in Christ himself. That Jesus is the light of the world who has entered in to shine the wisdom of God for all to see. But the generation that he came to mocked him and scorned him and rejected him. And Jesus said, judgment is coming upon you for that. Now as Jesus was doing that, he was doing it in a crowd. He was, this, was, this was not some kind of hidden thing, but it was in front of everybody. And evidently there were the religious leaders of the day were were there for this this sermon this message this word of condemnation that Jesus gave and where we pick it up this this morning is a scene where one of those religious leaders invites Jesus over for for lunch to talk about the things that Jesus has been been saying and if there was ever a lunch that didn't go the way that somebody was probably expecting it it was this one This religious leader that we're going to see today was probably expecting Jesus to come in and say, well, I wasn't really talking about you guys. But the conversation, as we'll see, is going to take quite an awkward turn the other way. And Jesus is going to condemn the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. So our our big idea this morning, and what the whole text is is about, is is this. That Jesus despises religious hypocrisy... Because it disgraces God's goodness, it distorts the way of salvation, and it deceives people's hearts. Jesus despises religious hypocrisy because it 
disgraces God's goodness. It confuses people about who he is. He makes God look like something that he's not. It disgraces his goodness. It distorts the way of salvation. Rather than showing people how they actually ought walk it, they put them on a different path of hypocrisy like the leadership here. And it deceives people's hearts. Rather than giving them light, he actually gives them darkness that leads them to destruction as well. So let's pick it up here in verse 37. I'm going to read the text for us and then we'll walk back through it. While Jesus was speaking, or it could be translated when Jesus was finished speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Verse 45, and one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you, you insult us also. And he said, woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Verse 53. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. What we're going to do is we're going to walk back through this text briefly and take a look at what Jesus was saying to them in their original context. And then we're going to spend the end of our time considering ways that, that we, we should be careful that we don't do the same thing that they did. Let's come back to verse 37. Again, Jesus was speaking. A Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table, and the, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So Jesus had just finished the lesson that he gave last week, that we, we saw last week, about the need for the light of God's Word. And a Pharisee now invites him over for dinner. Now this would have been a customary thing for the Pharisee to do. 
you would always, if you were a religious leader in that community, anytime another prominent rabbi would come in and he would give his talk, you'd invite him over uh, to have further conversation over a meal. So you could talk about their, their teaching. Well, we're not sure who all is on this guest list, but we know it's more than just Jesus and the Pharisee. If you look at verse 45, it says one of the lawyers speaks up there, which implies that there's, a, there's some sort of larger group. It's at least probably the disciples and, and at least the religious elites of Israel. Not all of them, but, but a group of them who are, who are there. These are the leaders, again, who had power and they had authority. They were revered by everyone in the community as being the ones who really knew God. They were the light givers, as it were. (laughs) But Jesus, when he accepted their invitation to come to dinner, he he didn't do it because he was enamored by them. Rather, he came to expose them. Now, as Jesus made his way to the table, he intentionally avoided one of the rituals that would have been expected of him. Did you catch it there in verse 38? He did not wash before dinner. Now, kids, before you start thinking, ah, here's my proof text for not needing to wash my hands before dinner, hold on. That's not what it's talking about. Your hand washing in in this culture, what would happen is is you you would, well, the religious leaders made this system of washing where in order to stay ceremonially clean, what you would do is before you would eat is you would take your fingers and you would dip them into a bowl of pure water. Now, you were required, according to the Pharisaical law, to at least go up to the middle knuckles on your finger. That way you could keep it clean so you're not grabbing with dirty hands. But if you happened to wash more than that, it was, it was seen as extra righteous. So as you would imagine, what the Pharisees did was go to the next level. And they would have this whole thing where they would go over and the servant would, would, would have a pitcher of water and they would, they would roll up their sleeves and they would hold out their hands like this and a servant would pour the water so it wouldn't just go on their fingers and just their hands, but it would go all the way down to wash up to their elbows. And it would be this big deal and then they'd drip their hands and then you know, a servant would come and take a towel and wrap them up so they would come to the, they would come to the table clean and, and ritually pure in a way that was above and beyond everybody who's just finger dipping. This was, this was just how they were. This is how they thought about religion. Well, Jesus was not going to play their game. <laughs> if, you, if you watch Jesus, he just does not like games like this, okay? He, he is going to do whatever he can to expose this. So he is going to reject and neglect this ritual. You'll see in Matthew chapter 15, verse 2, the disciples did the same thing, and the Pharisees got on to Jesus about it, about it there. Which I just think it's important to, to note out here uh, that Jesus was, he was a bit of an instigator. I mean, he always addressed the elephant in the room. Jesus was not one of those people who was going to play nice with, with things that were going to hurt people. So if there's an elephant in the room, he's going to say something about it, especially if that elephant is blocking people from seeing the light of God's word about salvation rightly. Jesus persistently resisted both religious and social culture when that culture or those cultures were sinful and distorted reality for people. He came as light in darkness, shining light into both religious and social culture, showing it's error. Now, just to be clear, Jesus was not opposed to washing your hands before you eat. He was opposed to hypocrisy and everything that was wrapped up in it. And what was the Pharisees' response there? Did you catch it? 
he was astonished. Oh my. You know, one of those things where he's going to be real dramatic and, and, and draw attention. He's going to marvel. Jesus didn't wash his hands. It's interesting. The word is the same word that's used at what the crowds would do whenever Jesus would do a miracle. Like, oh, oh, snap. Did you see that? Well, this guy does the same thing here. Can you believe he didn't wash hands? And this astonishment is what set Jesus off in a, in a righteous way. The Pharisees gave great attention to details. They focused on the highly visible, yet most normally superficial practices of their traditions. And this astonishment and what Jesus wouldn't do revealed this man's heart. Shows him to be an exacting man, a judgmental man. His, his concern is with the externals. He's the sort of man who's going to be looking down on others. He's going to be blind to his own sin, but he's, he's going to be able to see the sin in others pretty clearly. And, and that's really dangerous when it's in the hands of a religious leader because he's going to be using his authority to crush God's people rather than serve them. So Jesus is about to unload on what this guy should really be astonished about. Rather than being angry about Jesus not keeping a ritual that they made up, they should be outraged at the system of injustice that was their religious hypocrisy that marked their own lives and was leading the nation into evil against God. And what we're about to see is he is going to give woe after woe after woe. He's going to give you six. If you're counting there, there's six woes that he pronounces. It's a pronouncement of, of judgment. Judgment is coming. And he is showing these religious leaders that they are actually indeed part of the, the wicked generation that he just condemned. Look again at verse 39. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, what he's getting after here is, is just as they had a system like that that they made up for, for hand washing, they had it for everything. They had it for what you did with cups. They had it what you did with plates. They had this thing called fly impurity to where if a dead fly happened to be in your bowl, you needed to boil water and dip it in there like three times or seven times or whatever it was in order to make sure that the death of the fly did not contaminate the bowl or you should just break the bowl. Like, that's, that's, that's how they, they had all these, these systems to do this. And, 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 and Jesus brings up the deal here with the, with, the, with the dishes to broaden his aim about what he's getting after. He's exposing the shallowness of their whole system of rituals. There was no problem with wanting to be, to be clean, but the problem was that they missed the kind of cleanliness that mattered most. They missed the cleanliness of the heart that Jesus earlier had taught, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They missed the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They missed all that, but they were experts in, in all this other legalistic, ritualistic stuff that they, they came up with. And basically what Jesus is saying, he's saying your sort of religion is, it's utterly useless. Because what it doesn't do is it doesn't change the heart. 
It doesn't change the affections. But it's not only just useless, but it's actually deadly. Because what it did is it left untouched the evil of their heart. Did you see it there? He speaks of their greed and their wickedness. He says you've got all these systems of religious hoops that you're jumping through and making everybody else jump through them, but the fact is that no matter how many times you're jumping through them, when you get out on the other side, your heart is just as wicked or actually it's probably compounding wickedness because you feel better about yourself. Your heart's still filled with greed and wickedness. And this is what the Pharisees were known for. They were known for bribery, and they were, they were known for taking advantage of the widows that nobody could, could help for, much like what you would often see today on, on certain uh, TV preachers' shows who will, who will yeah, make, make pleas to those who are at home and who, who, if you can't reach the TV because you're in your sickbed, that's okay. If you reach out with a hand of faith and, and just call and, and give, give some money, then, then, then Jesus will see that seed of faith and he will heal you. All that trash is from hell. And Jesus hates it. And he sees that same sort of trickery in them that's alive and well today. He sees people hurting the vulnerable. And Jesus says, you've, you've missed the whole point of the law. He says, give as alms those things that are within Alms is the, the generous giving to the destitute, the poor, and the needy. And Jesus says, give alms, but, but don't neglect to have inner concern. Let your giving be from love. Don't just heartlessly write some, some check or throw a dollar at them, but rather let, let it come from compassion. Plead with God to give you a heart of compassion that loves others and doesn't just use them. And then do you see what he calls them there in verse 40? You fools. Now, the word fool there is a word that's used in the Bible to describe someone who is blind to God. That's different than having knowledge. You can, be a, you can be filled with knowledge, but not wise because you're not applying it. They had all sorts of knowledge, but they were not wise. They were actually fools because they ignored it in order to keep their own rituals. And this would have been utterly offensive. Jesus has just said that these people who claim to be wise and showing the way are actually blind and are hindering people from following the way and that they're not even in the way themselves. Others, I mean, they, they would have seen both themselves and others would have seen them as examples of holiness and wisdom, but Jesus says that they're actually corrupt fools who stand among the rest of the wicked generation who needs to repent. That's what's, that's what's happening here. And then Jesus just, he just goes in. Verse 42, Woe to you Pharisees. This is your first woe. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglected, neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He hits on their tithing practices here. The, under the old covenant, under the law, God's people in the Old Testament were commanded to tithe. To give 10% of all that they had to the priests at the temple as an act of worship. Well, the Pharisees were meticulous about this. If they went down and they got, um, they got some mint or rue or whatever herb, they would bring it home, probably you know, put it on their kitchen table, and, and they, they'd, they'd break it out here and they'd lay it all out. And what they would do is they would measure it and they'd count leaves. 
in order to keep 90% for them and 10% for God. And then if there happened to be just a little bit left over, they would take that little bit and they would, they would break it up as best as they could into, into, 10, you know, into 10 pieces and, and give, give that little bit to God. I mean, down to the very crumb is, is what they would, they would do. But Jesus says, you're keeping that ritual, but you're neglecting the heart while you're doing it. You're sitting there at the kitchen table counting out all this, this, this mint and this roux and, and your, your child comes by and says, hey daddy, I love you. And you're like, shut your hole, I'm, I'm tithing. It's, it's, that kind of, it's that kind of heart that's going on here. He says, you're missing the whole point. Justice and love for God were left unattended in their religious system. They had what you might call a selective religion. They kept parts that were convenient and left out the part that God required, which was the heart. This would echo all the prophets. Micah 6, 8, What has God told you, O man? What is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to love, do, do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Zechariah 7, 9, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Jesus says the problem is, is not religion. The problem is heartless religion. They had all the externals, but they lacked what the Good Samaritan modeled. Love, justice, compassion. Jesus said if your religion lacks these things, woe to you. Then verse 43 gives the second woe. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Now Jesus is going to go in on their pride. The synagogue here, this, this were, these were religious centers where they didn't have the, the sacrifices, but they had everything else. You would have songs and readings of the law and, and little sermonettes. And evidently there were, there were seats up front that were viewed as the seats of, of honor. These were the, the VIP uh, lounge was, was, was up front. And everybody would, would know uh, who was sitting up there. You remember this is where James in James chapter 2 speaks about a rich man who comes into your, your assembly or your synagogue and you treat him differently than the poor man. He was getting after him for this very thing right here. You see, the thing about these Pharisees, the reason they loved religion so much is because in their culture it was popular and it made them popular. They loved everybody knowing who they were. They lived for being ushered up front and, and, and everybody looking at them. They loved the, the greetings and being recognized here. They loved when people would, would stop them on the streets and snap some selfies with them and, and, and put it on Instagram and everybody would be like, look who I saw today. I mean, and I think we all kind of know what this is like. I know for me as a pastor, I mean, this week I'm sitting down at St. Elmo's, a coffee shop down here. Uh, I was meeting with somebody, studying God's word, and like three or four people walked by and they said hey to me, which never happens, but these people walked by and said hey to me and the person said to me, man, Everybody knows you around here. And there was a part of my pride that said, well, they should, shouldn't they? You know, something stupid like that. And I'm just like, what is that? That's so dumb. Like, that's not from the Lord. That's, that's in us, though. We like to be seen in our serving. Jesus says, if that's what you're living for, woe to you. 
Number three, verse 44, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. You see, under the Old, Old Testament law, if you came in contact with anything dead, especially a body, you became ceremonially unclean. So you did whatever you could to avoid deadness. That's why you would, one of the reasons you would mark a grave is so that you would avoid contact with it and becoming ceremonially unclean um, in a way that maybe would be unknowing. Well, that's exactly what's happening to these people. These people are trusting um, these religious leaders, but the fact is, when they come in contact with them and they receive their teaching and they follow in their way, they're becoming unclean because these are walking dead men is what Jesus is saying. Instead of leading them into holiness and eternal life, he's leading them, they're leading them into hypocrisy and uncleanness before God and, and judgment and the grave. Which I think it's important just to notice here that the effects of hypocrisy whether it be in leadership or in everyday professors of, of the name, the effects of that hypocrisy are not just limited to yourself. It certainly does have effects on yourself, but it always affects what others think about God. As Jesus would say, the blind lead the blind and both fall into the ditch, or in this case, into the grave. Then for, verse 45, one of the more humorous parts of a weighty text. This poor guy. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And then Jesus says, Woe to you. <laughs> like, I was coming for you. <laughs> I think it is interesting to note here something about this, this lawyer. A lawyer was a scribe. He was a Pharisee's assistant who would, who would help him with, with whatever duties the Pharisees would have. He was, he was the guy who was, was kind of like, like, like Ben Hamilton and Josh Hart have been for, for the elder board at different times when I don't know anything about the bylaws. I'm like, what do the bylaws say? Well, here's the answer. And like, okay. Um, like, they're those sorts of, of guys. Well, and they do a lot more than that, but they at least do that. Um, anyway, rather than, than this guy humbly hearing this word that's aimed at the Pharisees and searching their own heart to say, is there, any, is there any possible trace of any of that same sort of sin in me? Rather than doing that, they proudly push back and say, excuse me, you've offended me. <laughs> I, I just want to say, in a day and age that everybody's offended at everything, Being easily offended is a very dangerous posture of your heart. All that it is, and mostly all that it is, it is your pride and your insecurity and your high sense of self-worth that doesn't want to risk possibly somebody hurting you. Now listen, none of us like to be hurt. And there are people who are hurtful, and there are real wounds. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, the, I mean, in our day and age, how saying anything, people throw up the you've offended me flag. That should not mark the people of God. We are not dependent on what everybody says. We're dependent on what God has said. Our security rests on who we are in Christ. But this guy 
He's controlled by image and, and his self-righteousness not being anything but affirmed. Jesus ain't having it. Verse 46 Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. The word burden there, it's, it's a word that's often used for cargo on a, on a ship, a sailing ship. These people, these leaders, are, what they're doing is they're loading down people with additions to the law. All the Sabbath requirements that a guy gets healed and then he picks up his mat and they're like, oh, healing on the Sabbath, are we? All this hand-washing nonsense, all, this, all these things, that these rules after rules after rules that they put around the rules. People are being crushed by the weight of that legalism. And the leaders, rather than lifting it off in repentance, they are not helping at all, but they're just adding to it. That's, that's what gives color or background to whenever Jesus says those, those glorious words in Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was directly speaking about the legalism of the Pharisees and these scribes and lawyers that, was, that were crushing everybody and sucking the life out of them. Jesus comes as the compassionate, life-giving one. Which again, just noticing this about Jesus here, he is, he's incredible. He is both tough and tender. He is both courageous and clear. He is generous and just. He is grace and truth incarnate. His tone with people varied depending on what was appropriate for them. I mean, he was very tender and patient with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, despite the fact that she was an egregious sin. And he was very tough and pointed with these religious leaders who were just as entrenched in sin, but their pride was different. And he knew it. This is where we as God's people must always be praying for wisdom to know how do we, how do we be both tough and tender, both courageous and compassionate, both grace and truth. You've got to have both. The Holy Spirit will give that to you, but you must ask. Do not be a jerk for Jesus. That does not help anything. But also don't be a coward for Christ. Both are deadly traps. Verse 47, the fifth woe. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets who your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, who was the first prophet killed, you remember Abel was killed by Cain, and the blood of Zechariah, the last prophet who was killed in the end of Second Chronicles, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. You see, one of the other acts of showy religiosity that these leaders undertook was to upkeep the, the tombs of the prophets. They would be out there saying, oh, look how much we love these prophets from days gone by. We're, we're making sure that their tombs look good and there's fr fresh flowers or whatever they would do. Jesus said, listen, y'all, I see right through that. That is nothing but a show. 
You think you're honoring the prophets by making graves look nice, but you're actually just showing that you're glad they're dead. And they just said, how? How is that true? See, because outwardly they they acted like they were honoring the prophets, but God knew that inwardly they were rejecting them. And the way you know that they're rejecting the prophets is because they're rejecting Jesus. He is the wisdom of God incarnate. He is the fulfillment of the hope of the prophets. He said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus says, your generation of religious leaders is just finishing the job that your fathers started. The tombs that, that, that you're building for them are just m- memorials of rejection of God. And the evidence is that you want to put me to death, is what he says. By the way, if this is your first time ever hearing like other stuff that Jesus said besides judge not, I realize that this, this may be difficult, but Jesus comes with very clear, pointed words. He did not just come to help everyone to, to just feel better. Now, he is a merciful, wonderful shepherd who is near and who goes after the one who strays. He is loving and gentle and kind for the brokenhearted. But sin is grievous. He came to shed his blood for it. And here he is warning these people and us in turn to be careful to not fall into it. Verse 52, the sixth and final woe. Woe to you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. These people were, the Pharisees and the the scribes and the the lawyers here, they're they're supposed to be the, the gatekeepers to the presence of God. They're supposed to be ushering people in so they can see God more clearly and see his beauty, see his loveliness and his worthiness of of worship and the way of salvation. But instead of providing access to God, they hide the key from people, Jesus says. Leave them locked out of the ark, as it were, awaiting judgment. Well, I'm not sure how the dinner ended. But when it did, I'm sure it, was, I'm sure it was quiet as Jesus and his disciples made their way out the door. And then they began responding. Now there's two ways that you could respond here. Verse 53 could read and should read. And as Jesus left, conviction fell upon the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. And they cried out, oh, woe is me. I am, we are people of unclean lips and repented. But that's not what they did. They went the exact opposite way. Verse 53. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him about, uh, to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. This is absolutely stunning. They have come face to face with Jesus. They have heard his warnings about hypocrisy. The light of his wisdom shone in their very eyes, yet they hardened their hearts against him. They now press him. It's a a hostile pressing toward. They provoke him. It's a word used to mean to attack with questions. They lie in wait to catch him. Rather than, than, than submitting to him, they now seek to trap him, to discredit him, to dismiss him. To make sure that that everybody else thinks that it's Jesus who's wrong, we're actually right. 
This is where we must be very careful to not fall into a trap of our own. Because it would be easy for us to read that and be like, man, those religious leaders, get them, Jesus. Bunch of dirty dogs. They deserve that. They had it coming. Man, I'm glad I'm not like them. Seven ways to become a religious hypocrite. Number one. Let's commit to tradition no matter what. Let's do that. Let, let's commit to tradition n- no matter what. I mean, the, the Pharisee we saw here, he was astonished that Jesus didn't, didn't wash hands before dinner. One, one, of, one of the surest ways to deceive yourself with religion is to be committed to tradition for tradition's sake. To do things simply because that's the way they've always been done. That is a deadly trap. And one of the reasons it's a deadly trap is because if what you were doing was an error, then you become cemented in it until you die. You see, hypocrites, religious hypocrites, find comfort in tradition. Now pause. I'm not saying everybody who has traditions are hypocrites. Okay. But the heart of hypocrites find comfort in traditions because they enjoy complacency. They enjoy doing what they're used to, what's safe, what's familiar, what's comfortable. It's a deceptive safety net. Now, I will say that this is a sin that that tends to threaten older, more established churches, generally. Those that are unwilling to maybe reevaluate budget lines or unwilling to cut programs that need to go or unwilling to kill committees that, that that are choking out the church unwilling to, to, to change faulty leadership structures. This is actually one of the things that almost killed this church. All of that. Sticking with tradition, even if you can't find warrant for it in the scriptures, it's just what we do. It's the traditionalists. Delray Baptist Church, I just say that we must ensure that we never allow tradition or culture to undermine God's word. We must not. So whether we're going to discuss whether we we keep pews or go with chairs, whether we take flags out or whether we leave them here, whether we get rid of the choir loft or whether we leave it, whether we get rid of these chandeliers or not, whether we do something with the stained glass windows or not, Listen, we as a church do not take our cues from conventions. We do not take cues from Colin Kaepernick or Donald Trump. We do not take cues from anybody but Jesus. This sort of thing is intended to make everyone uncomfortable. We are all susceptible to this. God's people must always be governed by God's word. If you are committed to tradition, no matter what, your heart will harden and you will wander from the truth. Now, the only other thing I want to say here is as a younger flock, we must be cautious to not be arrogant against tradition. To just cast it off because that's what the older crew used to do. That's not the way of the wise either. Everything you do, evaluating things that have been around for a while or things that, have, that are new, should always be done humbly by the Spirit, according to the Word of God.
Second way to become a religious hypocrite. Be devoted to external duty, but neglect the heart. Let's be devoted to external duty, but neglect the heart. Jesus said in verse 39, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. This again is another dangerous trap to be fixated on what's happening on the outside, but to neglect what's happening on the inside and your motivations for doing things. You see, hypocrites can become concerned with appearing clean, but God wants people to actually be clean from the heart. So for instance, it can happen to where you can give generously financially to the church, but earmark it in such a way that that you try to control the church. You you could maybe wear modest clothing, but you do it in such a way that it makes you feel empowered to look down on others. Or maybe, maybe you, could, you could take the Lord's Supper in order to make sure you don't look bad next, uh, you know, with somebody who's sitting next to you, or maybe even to, to, to give yourself a spiritual boost, but, but inside be harboring adultery and lies and anger that's unrepentant. You see, hypocrisy is devoted to external, external forms of righteousness, but neglect internal cultivation of humility and love and compassion and joy. Hypocrites can easily deceive themselves by perfecting outward performance. Show up at the right time, in the right place, smile, hey brother, hey sister, God bless you, better than I deserve, all that mess, and it not have any heart behind it. You can be devoted to external duty, but neglect the heart. The third way, if we want to become religious hypocrites, is let's, let's major on the minors. Let's major on the minors. Verse 42, you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So this is a similar danger to the one that we just talked about. Uh, but, But what we're doing here is we're giving wrong weight to less important things. You major on the minors and you minor on the majors. The difference between two and three is that in two you you do the right thing with wrong motive and here you do the right thing but with the wrong weight of emphasis. You're walking up to the offering box, but as you do, you avoid somebody that you have bitterness against. You attend faithfully week in and week out, but when you're away from here, you gossip about one another. You march in in abortion rallies, but then you get online and blast people with ungodly venom, which I just want to say, I do a lot of writing and speaking about abortion. It's part of my past and part of my story, so, so I have. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people online who have, and this is not to say, I'm trying to not use myself as a good example often, but I've had countless people online say, you know what, I just want to say thank you for speaking to me as if I'm a person. I've had so many people in the name of Jesus just do nothing but yell at me and blast me but I appreciate you talking to me. Jesus would be talking to those sorts of people. You homeschool your children, but you grow callous toward non-Christians. Or you go to public school to be missional, but then you hate Christians. You don't watch bad TV, but you're stealing at work. You honor the speed limit, but then you want to kill everybody who's passing you. You keep your kids acting right in public, but your home is filled with unconfessed and unrepentant anger and control. 
You see, we're to be a people who, who honor God with right measure, not neglecting the love and the justice that the law is intended to highlight for us. The law is to provide guidance for opportunity to live out love and justice. It's not just a bunch of rules that we do without those. Religious hypocrites major on the minors. Fourthly, aim your religious affections at impressing or appeasing people. Let's aim our religious activities at impressing or appeasing people. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Again, this is a a great danger for religious people is to worship in order to be watched, to serve in order to be seen. You see, in, in worship and service and living out our devotion to God, our hearts should always be upward toward pleasing God. But for the hypocrite, that's just never really enough. It's not quite enough to know that the Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. It's not quite enough to wait for that last day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. No, there's there's this itch to be applauded or affirmed or approved now because of the way that you carry out your religious life. And when it doesn't happen you find yourself resentful and irritated and judging other people as to why nobody notices you. Now, there's two ways that you can do this sort of, this sort of hypocrisy. You can cultivate it by broadcasting your religious uh, duties. You do what you do to get n- noticed, to, to get invites to events or to be accepted in particular circles or get social media shares or to get pats on the back. Maybe get your name on the wall if your church does that. Or you could go the other way and you could bury it. You can allow criticism to change your convictions. You can keep silent when you ought to speak up. You can hide your light. And those two things may, they, they may seem different, but they're not as different as they appear because both of them are all about your appearance before others. You don't want to be that kind of Christian. I can't tell you how many times that's gone through my mind. Well, I don't want to be that kind of Christian. And certainly we can learn from the errors of others, but if you're always being corrected that way, it's, it's a dangerous place. And again, yes, there's, there's a place for a desire for encouragement. And I encourage you, let this be a place of encouragement. To where someone teaches in a class or someone serves or something, drop them a quick note, send them a text, just say thank you. Let encouragement be happening. That's good and godly, but, but don't serve for that. It's not a call to cease serving, but to plead with God to purify your serving. To do one without neglecting the other, as Jesus would say. Fifthly, require people to keep rules that God didn't create. If you want to become a religious hypocrite, you should require people to keep rules that God didn't create. Again, verse 46, woe to you lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. This is legalism. The, the rules around the rules, as it were. Now, this is almost always done with good intent that you want to flee from sin, which is worshipful, but in order to do that, you're going to make sure that you draw the lines around the commandment far enough back that you don't even get close to the appearance of evil. Right? 
But what can happen here is that when you begin to, to do that, you can begin, what happens in the way that you look at others? Well, they should do the same thing, shouldn't they? And, I mean, you don't think this can happen in a church? This, this could happen in a church, especially one that loves God's word and seeks to apply it. You can develop convictions as to what you think it means to really worship God that, that God's not crystal clear on. I mean, we could just go through a list. What do you do with Pokemon, Star Wars, Harry Potter, birth control, no birth control, homeschooling, no homeschooling, breastfeeding? Listen, I know a buddy whose church almost split over breastfeeding. Yeah, I, listen, anyway. Ha- should you wear hats in church or not? Should the preacher be in a suit? That's why I wore it. Should you tuck your shirt? Should you untuck your shirt? I figured I'd at least, you know, anyway. Uh, should women work outside the home? Should Christians do Halloween? Listen, you, I could, we could be here all stinking day long with all of the things that Christians can have very strong opinions about, which if those convictions are formed by your reading of God's word and you know it would be sin for you and your conscience to do certain things, then by, you know, praise God and honor him by avoiding those things. But you must be very careful because what the hypocrite will do is they will form this, this view and this, this wall of self-righteousness around them that will begin to look at everybody else who doesn't see things in the same way that they do and they will begin throwing stones of judgment. And you begin questioning whether they really love God because if you really love God, how could you ever go see that movie? How could you ever go do that? Now again, on the other side, those who have great freedom and know it, be very careful against the arrogance that can come with that. Always assuming that everyone is just, you know, still in training diapers in their walk with Jesus. Just assuming they're just immature, they don't know anything. No, 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 be careful. Some of the best correction I've gotten has been from people who have very different convictions than me, and I've been helped by greatly to say, you know what, I probably am a little more worldly than I like to think I am. Require people to keep rules that God didn't create. The sixth one, refuse to repent of evils done by previous generations. Refuse to repent of evils done by previous generations. Verse 50, blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. You see, one of the other traps that hypocrites can fall into is they can wrongly assume that they're better than their forefathers because their sins don't look exactly like their forefathers' sins. But as we heard, Jesus said, you would have, these Pharisees would have killed the prophets too because of the way they were responding to him. And this is where we must be very careful to not fall into the same trap, to look back and judge previous generations because of how awful they were, but still harbor the same sorts of sins in our heart. I'll just take one that should be appropriate for our church, being a Southern Baptist church. The Southern Baptist Convention was founded to allow southern slave owners to be members in good standing at their churches and to be able to still help with missions work. That's why the Southern Baptist Convention was founded. It was founded on the wicked sin of racism and enslaving other people made in God's image. That is a serious wickedness. Now, I am thankful that the Southern Baptist Convention has formally renounced racism numerous times. 
But one of the questions we must always ask is, does that sin still abide in us? Because if you think for one second that a tidal wave just stops when it hits the beach, it doesn't. Things may have changed drastically, and praise God for all bits of progress that have happened in this land and in churches, but be under no illusion that there's not shock waves and things that still exist, even in our own hearts. Now, I'm thankful for this congregation. I'm encouraged that we try to talk about these things and pray about these things and work toward racial unity. I praise God for that, but we must never grow comfortable in our desires to, to grow in unity to labor for that unity which glorifies God. And I, I might say publicly that I do not think that our convention is free from this sin. We should pray for it and pray for God to give us wisdom in what to do. If you'd like to learn more about this, I encourage or recommend the book Removing the Stain of Racism, Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention by Dr. Jarvis Williams and Kevin Jones. Jarvis Williams and Kevin Jones. It's a good resource. Seventh and finally, the final way to be a religious hypocrite, well, the one I'm going to talk about is to focus on the faults of others instead of your own. To focus on the faults of others instead of your own. To have just gotten irritated with me because I brought up racism again. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. You see, Pharisees were so focused on finding fault with Jesus that they missed the glaring fault within their own heart. And that should make us tremble. Because this may be the most deceptive form of hypocrisy. There's a certain sense of assurance that the hypocrite has because he feels himself to always be better than another. You see, as hypocrites, we're generally severe with other people's sins but patient with our own. We become masters of masking our vices as virtues. We see our stinginess as good stewardship. We see our cowardliness as a wise witness. We see our selfishness as self-care. But when it comes to dealing with others, we're a bit more suspect, aren't we? We tend to see others' boldness as arrogance, their critiques as coming from Maybe it's evidence of a critical spirit. Their missteps as calculated attacks against us. We tend to see ourselves in a favorable light, but be fault-finding with others. This is a great danger. Because we can become so busy looking at others' faults that we're unable to see God exposing our own. Spurgeon said it this way, <laughs> the plank of wood in the eye of the hypocrite, is large enough to shut out the light of heaven from entering his soul. Be careful if you assume that accusation was about somebody else. Now, Jesus just leaves after that, and he goes on to somewhere else. In our conclusion, though, I want to be really clear about what the antidote to this is. The antidote to hypocrisy is, is to flee to Jesus. 
You see, when Jesus came, he came to die on the cross for all of those sins that we just talked about, for all of the other sins that still abide in us. He came to lay down his life on the cross to be judged for all of the wickedness that we deserve. And then he rose from the dead. And now he promises forgiveness no matter where you've been or what you've done. And if he has power to raise from the dead, he has power to deliver us even from hypocrisy. And you know what? There is something about falling in love with Jesus that hypocrites know nothing of. Where your heart swells for him where your affections are warmed for him. So let us be a church that prays that God would cultivate that in us because as we behold Jesus and see him in all his beauty, in all his glory, something happens. You see, it's, it's much harder to look down on the sin of others when you're looking up at Jesus who took your own. The only way to put hypocrisy to death is to bring it to him. The scribes and the Pharisees would not, but we must. So let us pray that God will teach us to be severe with our own sins and patient with the sins of others. That he would help us to often make excuses for others and be slow to make excuses for ourselves. May he teach us to judge our own sins severely and to humbly help others fight against their own. To not conceal our sins, but to confess them. Let us serve, but be satisfied if no one applauds as long as everyone is applauding Jesus. The Our Baptist Church, I just want to say I'm, I'm encouraged generally by the way that we fight against this, but let us never grow weary in it because these seeds and these weeds in the soul, they crop up quickly. May God guard us and guide us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a people who, who love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. May we never be satisfied with shallow, dead religion.